Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome everybody to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game in the world of talent development. And today we are talking all about how to become an inclusive leader with my very special guest who is an absolute expert on this topic. And I love bringing in friends and experts, especially when friends are experts who can really talk well on a topic in a way that can really inspire you to take action. And today's guest is no different. My guest today is Jennifer Brown, who is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, author, and diversity and inclusion expert who is deeply passionate about building more inclusive workplaces where more of us can feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. As the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, a certified woman and LGBT-owned firm, Jennifer and her team design and execute inclusion strategies that have been implemented by some of the biggest companies and nonprofits around the world. Jennifer is the author of two best-selling books, including Inclusion, Diversity, The New Workplace, and The Will to Change, which came out in 2017, and How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive, which first came out in 2019 as being re-released, a new edition recently, which is why we're having Jennifer back on the show. Jennifer spoke on our Talent Development Virtual Summit back in late 2020. You may remember that Jennifer Brown spoke on our Talent Development Virtual Summit we hosted back in September of 2020, and we published that interview on the podcast back in March of 2021. It's called A Winning and Sustainable Approach to DEI. If you haven't listened to that, go back and check that out. You can hear more of Jennifer's background, as well as how DEI was changing at the time as a result of the social justice movement and everything going on in the world. And we are revisiting some of that and going deeper today on topics like allyship, creating cultures of belonging, how to become an inclusive leader, finding your way into the conversation and off the sidelines, being unaware of the stage and uncovering bias. We talk about developing people and where talent development connects with inclusion and DEI in general and many other things. We go into some very interesting topics here that I'm excited to bring you into. I asked a couple selfish questions uh, myself that I thought would be interesting. And I usually find that if I'm thinking something that a lot of other people are thinking it as well. So I hope you get value from this conversation. If you do, feel free to reach out to Jennifer and let her know and reach out to me and let me know as well. I'd love to hear from you. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Jennifer Brown on how to become an inclusive leader. All right. I'm joined now by my friend Jennifer Brown, who is an absolute expert, author, speaker, and guru in this world of DEI and creating inclusive leaders. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. Welcome back to me. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, you and I, I feel like we have this relationship where we we kind of follow each other, keep in touch. We've only talked really a few times, a couple times live, but it's always like, jump right in Definitely. all smiles we know we 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 get along and we're going to have a great conversation and i'm i'm really looking forward to this because 
obviously the idea of DEI and inclusion especially has become increasingly important over the last couple of years. And I see you as, as definitely one of the kind of the foremost experts in the space, someone that's out there speaking out about this and has been for quite some time, right? Long before it was cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to really dig in to your expertise in this book and even like, you know, ask some deeper questions and and see where people are, are still falling down and making mistakes. But mm-hmm. maybe we could just start with a little bit of your background. Like how did you get into this space to become this like well-known thought leader in DEI. Oh my goodness. Accidental as ever. I mm-hmm. think in the in the winding road, a lot of people don't ever like set out to do this, although more now than ever, but originally right. all those years that you just mentioned, and yeah. it's almost two decades that I've been doing this work. Wow. It was always like a passion, right? And then if you were lucky enough to parlay it into, you know, what you do you always felt like you were part of this small and mighty and very tired club of people mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to affect or change in these massive institutions, right? And like yeah. give voice. But I was actually, I don't know if you know this, Andy, but I was an opera singer in my twenties. Oh, I don't know if I yeah. did. So I was um, kind of going great guns towards Broadway stage and that a performing career. And then I had vocal surgery because I kept injuring my voice. And wow. Yeah, a couple times. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to have the stamina to make a career. And so I thought that would be the end of me yeah. and the voice, but it would not be, yeah. obviously. Um, and I would end up going back to school and studying leadership development and organizational change. And I think I was always like, I was a psychology major. I think it resonated so much to look at the system, look at the individuals in the system, think about how do how and why do we change as people? Like, how do we evolve? What gets in the way? Where are we thwarted, I think, in giving our best contributions mm-hmm. in different systems? And I say that because that's very personal to me because I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. but I was closeted as a performer, closeted as a corporate person in learning and development teams. And then as an entrepreneur, it finally gave me, I think, the permission and the platform to be fully out. But it took like many, many, many years. Mm. And and I'm always so mindful and I carry that with me. I'm so mindful that this is still a struggle daily for so many people. And it's not just about being LGBTQ, but in any identity that causes us to feel smaller and and devalued and irrelevant not supported or invested in, Mm -hmm. underestimated, we carry these things and organizations need to do a better job of tackling that. And and we get to work on that every single day. So I like to say I was meant to use my voice, just not as a singer. And now I recognize it's sort of illuminating what's, what hasn't been voiced and also the voiceless or relatively right. And, and changing systems so that we can all be heard. Right. If I could ask just a, a clarifying question, yeah. I know a little bit of your story and read the, some of the, your book as well. You, you talk about not being comfortable, not being out. Basically, you're saying mm-hmm. you, early in your career working in the corporate world, you're gay, but not feeling comfortable telling right. people about that. Yeah. And, or or just covering. You know, yeah. Kenji Yoshino talks about it's not the same as the closet, which is like out and out hiding. Okay. But covering is this subtle thing we do because we are anticipating being seen as less than mm. if we were to bring our full selves. Mm. So it's a subtle thing that we do, whether we modify our appearance or the way we speak or what we speak about or what we share about our families. Yeah. But it's this insidious 
death by a thousand cuts, right? That mm-hmm. kind of accumulates and you hate yourself, yeah. <laughs> but you also in doing this, you're, you're surviving, which mm-hmm. is a great reason to do it. Yep. But ultimately it deprives the, the environment around you from the accountability for change, right? Mm. If we sort of save people the effort of coping with <laughs> all yeah. of who we are, yeah. then the, the, the system around us never grows. Yeah. I know that obviously there's there's a lot of work still to be done and we're going to talk mm. about that, but we've also made a ton of progress, right? Can you compare and contrast the idea of being out and being yourself in the corporate world 20 years ago versus today? Oh gosh, today? I love that question. Yeah. It was such a different world. Oh my goodness. And you know, I mean, because uh, you probably had lots of friends in the community. I mean, we- yeah. Oh gosh, 20 years ago, the conversation was about domestic partner benefits in companies. And so Mm. I was, at the time, I was more of a leadership and team consultant, Mm. an entrepreneur and training and development professional. And D&I was like a passion project. And so I was on a lot of volunteer boards and lucky me, I was in New York City at a time when there were, there's something called out and equal workplace advocates. And Mm -hmm. I was part of this nonprofit as a volunteer, we would go in and host panels with HR leaders and LGBTQ executives where we could find them, because honestly, Mm -hmm. there were almost none. And there still are kind of almost none. I mean, it's sad. Like Tim Cook is one of the very few in Fortune 500. Yeah. So we were sort of baselining Okay, here's what you here's the language you need in your non-discrimination policy. Here's the imagery you need in your marketing materials. Here's the way that you would sell to this community with respect, right? Using the terminology and doing your homework. And, mm. and domestic partner benefits, of course, was the precursor for many years to marriage equality. And God knows we may be going back to those days. <laughs> never thought I'd be saying that, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I think anyway, we're still heading in the right direction. Just to keep we'll, us fresh, you know. Yeah. We won't, we won't get into politics. We'll keep it more, we'll keep it more to the corporate world, but, but <laughs> things have changed a lot, right? And I yeah. feel like you, you mentioned the marketing as well. I feel like from an outsider who likes observing and learning about marketing things are going there was a moment during that time where companies realized like oh lgbt community has a lot of money Ooh, we should start we marketing do. to them <laughs> they're generally <laughs> pretty what simple. is our buying power like a couple trillion at this point right wow. so yeah i mean companies that are smart know that these non-white non-male communities are the fastest growing in terms of buying power and mm. and then you you square that with the fact that our talent market is yeah. more diverse than ever, right? We're recruiting yeah. and we're bringing in people. Well, and is- and you think about people coming in, Gen Z yeah. is the most diverse oh, yeah. generation in the United Love States them. ever, right? Thank God. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to finish what we might've started, but yeah. you know, didn't get very far. <laughs> the work is never finished, Jennifer. No, it is not. Never finished, but they're going to make a lot of progress. I'm reading a book about Gen Z right now. It's been interesting, you know, the, the hallmarks of that generation and and is the most diverse and you're going to be mm. buying and learning and doing things very differently. Mm. So you got into this work and I'm curious about that transition from, you mentioned passion project to this becoming like your main thing yeah. and what it looked like that, you know, at, when you started out getting, you know, funding for DEI work inside yeah. an organization versus obviously today. And especially since 2020, it's become like, oh, this needs to be a main of thing. Of course. Yeah. 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 Here's all the money. Well, they still aren't handing out money, but, um, <laughs> but no, back then it was really tough. Nice to have versus need to have. When I started pivoting into the space, you had to 
you had to say yes to everything you could possibly get, right? As a mm-hmm. business owner. And yep. so it was hard to shape it and to scope it and to certainly sign up for something where you could really move the needle, but you were so happy to have the work. And I also wasn't the, wasn't an expert at all. And I'd say, I wouldn't even like call myself an expert today, but mm-hmm. back then I, I, what I did is I was a really good marketer and I knew how to get in rooms and I knew how to influence people and bring them to us, sort of magnetize people's interest and win their trust. And I just, you know, came from this place of org change and leadership. So I could kind of speak the language a little bit. I could share my story of being, you know, authentically myself, but I really would never have called myself an expert DEI practitioner. So what I did is I built the house and then I like brought these amazing experts into the house and, Mm. you know, made sure that, that, that everybody had a place to do the work and sent people in to work that I had shaped and sold and was so incredibly proud. I just, I've never doubted working that way. It's, it's always, and I, I know this is not for everybody, but it was the way that I knew I could be the rainmaker as, yeah. as at the same time as I was sort of becoming, you know, a, a DEI consultant myself and, mm-hmm. and then subsequently a keynoter and an author and everything, but I didn't start that way. I absolutely led with the talent on our team. And we had some incredible people that I learned so much from. And I was so happy to share the community too. It's such lonely work. It's really very difficult and very triggering on a personal level because you're constantly teaching these things that like directly impact you. Mm. And you're having to hold the space for people to you do You probably also learning. hear from a lot of people who have been impacted by <laughs> all of these things, right? And they, they you're the person <laughs> they can open up to. That's right. <laughs> and impacted on all sides. So yeah. yeah, like all identities saying, I don't feel heard or I'm getting erased or I don't, I'm being told that I'm irrelevant or, mm-hmm. you know, my people, you know, right. And like, as I'm yeah. saying this, you're ima- maybe we're imagining different identities, right. But this is mm-hmm. like so many, almost every identity is feeling somehow persecuted, left behind, mm-hmm. erased. So Can we talk so- about that for a second, because <laughs> I think that's something interesting that we is not often part of the DEI discussion, right? Uh-huh. That the claims of, let's say, I would assume for the most part, straight white men like myself yeah. who feel like, oh, all the talk is about giving more rights, pay, et cetera, to yeah. these people from underrepresented groups. Am I going to be left behind? Do you not value me anymore now? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's that's absolutely in the brief, like before I come into a space. Somebody will say, well, we're really hearing a lot of feedback. People are very, they're feeling excluded. Hmm. It's a, tr- it's delicate because yeah. the truth of it is that, that a system that has, has preferenced you because of the privileges you hold mm-hmm. feels normal to you, right? That right. feels fair because that's yeah. all you've ever known. Right. So when you shift that system and you say, well, by, by the way, that system isn't fair. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, like. It really wasn't fair to a lot of other people, but it might've really worked for you. It might've felt comfortable. It might've right. been a sort of set of rules that you understood that you were brought in on. Yeah, it worked and for now, me. I didn't create but, it, but it worked for me. But, well, exactly. And why not take advantage of that? But so mm. I guess you can look at that as I try to explain it, that it's a rebalancing. It, mm. it, it's that the meritocracy was never a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. So now when you say, well, I don't want to be forced to hire people, you know, to achieve these goals. And what about merit and all that fun, that fun discussion? Um, 
you know, I also use a lot of different arguments. Like one I like to say is, look, I mean, leaders that know how to manage across difference are going to be the best leaders in the future. They're going to be the highest paid. They're going to be the most valuable. Mm. They're going to get the highest performance ratings because our world is diversifying. Our talent is diversifying. Our customers are they want different things and they want to feel seen. Like mm-hmm. it's not just about the transaction. It's about, do you know me? Do you yeah. see me? Do you value me? Have you done any homework on who I am and where I spend my money to mm-hmm. our conversation about buying power? The leader that wants to stay relevant yeah. listens to this and in a very calculating way, which is fine, I'll take it. It's not mm-hmm. the moral argument. It's no. not the, oh, this is the right thing to do, but perhaps it's self-preservation or perhaps it's for innovation and creativity and saying, boy, I need more creative ideas and I need that yeah. creative abrasion that happens from different viewpoints and identities and experiences to create something that we can't even imagine. That comes from you know, this push and pull that's inherent in diversity and inclusion. So- mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough. And then I also have expanded the way that I talk about diversity dimensions with folks like mental health, caregiving responsibilities, addiction, and how neurodiversity is affecting families Mm -hmm. and kids and parents. You know, there's all kinds of, of, I think challenges that, that have like at their core, I feel excluded or not supported from the system that I'm in. And if we can kind of agree, like that feeling of belonging, that want to belong, and then the derailer of the belonging can be a lot of different things, not just racism, not just sexism, not just homophobia. It can be, or ableism, it can be those things plus all these other layers that are happening. If we can acknowledge that humanity and that challenge and then say, look, the systems need to evolve to truly support the whole human. Mm -hmm. And they have not done that well. Like our workplace is broken. I've known that for a very long time, Yeah, but I think the awakening of the last couple of years have, have shown employers, I mean, shame on them if they have not taken this in to say, we need to be different. Like we are not, we are literally losing talent that we worked really hard to get in only to say, well, your culture, I can't handle this culture. It's toxic. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I think it was you who told me the last time we had a conversation that the workplace, you know, the American office, if you will, was set up for white men, essentially, right. like it wasn't, <laughs> like right. it wasn't constructed for other people. And I was like, that's interesting. I never thought about that before. That's right. I mean, think about who built it and mm-hmm. who, and who's going to have the, I don't, I don't like to say blind spots now who is going to miss, mm-hmm. you know, the whole picture when there's no one at that table to speak up or, and if somebody is at that table and they speak up and they say, well, we're not thinking about this, or this wouldn't impact me this way. Are they heard? Mm-hmm. Right. And so the whole circumstance has to be designed for inclusion so that we can rebuild something better, right? That all of us can participate in building something that would work for each of us. Like that's what we have to do now. And and we can all benefit, right? I'm a big fan of abundance and like to say, hey, there's no limitation on money, success, love in the world, right? You can bring more people in and we can all raise each other up. But a lot of people don't see that way, that things that way and just worry things are going to be taken away from me, right? And I forget what the psychological phenomenon is called, but essentially losing something is way more painful than gaining something, right? And is is beneficial, right? And so once you have something, don't take it away from me, right? (laughs) And so you can understand people being afraid. Well, yeah, maybe it wasn't that fair, but if we open things up and now we're like making it equal, truly equal, like I thought it was equal before, but truly equal for everybody, you know, does that remove opportunities for me? 
Yeah. But isn't the landscape always changing? You know, I don't think you're any leader worth that title if you're not having to learn how to navigate new landscapes. Like, Oh, now you're telling me I have to earn it. Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) but why wouldn't that change? You know, like everything else is changing around us. Like the whole world has gone upside down. I, I, and, um, but you're right that sometimes I feel like I'm telling people to have faith that there's something even better on the other side of this. And it's very, I know that that's sort of me saying, Hey, I I promise like cross this bridge and you will, it'll be revealed, but it's going to be hard along the way. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you and I have both done a lot of leadership development work telling a leader that, Hey, you need to develop your people and help mm-hmm. them achieve their next thing, whatever that is, even if they leave you, it'll be great, them. right? You're but right. We can't ignore the fact that it's still going to be painful when you lose that really talented yeah. person from your team and you need to replace them. I know. I know. We're just human, right? We want yeah. stability. We have a scarcity, I think, yeah. mentality, right? And mm-hmm. there's going to be less. And that's the problem. I think capitalism sort of conditions us to Mm -hmm. view that pie as finite, right? Think about competition. Think about, it isn't a one plus one equals three conversation all the time. So this is a, sometimes I'm like, can you just put aside for the moment, like the need to see things in a win-lose, in a binary, in a, I'm right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Can we agree just to be in the ambiguity of human development and inquiry and curiosity and Believing actually that I have the capacity to be an even better leader. I have the capacity. I think a lot of times I am like the big encourager. I encouragement is one of I think that the the top things that I give, which is you could you can do this. You can develop this competency. You will through practice feel comfortable with this, even if you feel uncomfortable today. Right. And I, and, 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 and this is why I also think about who's in our team, our internal sort of trusted advisor, because to encourage this kind of growth, it's hard to do it alone. There have to be people who have your back and see your heart and say, I know you can do this. And I, I love you so much. I support you so much. And I believe in you so much that I want to give you that tough feedback, right? Because I think you'll take it and you'll take it in and you'll do the right thing with it. Those are the kinds of people we have deeper relationships with. Those are the kinds of relationships we want because you and I may not know we're messing up right. every day unless somebody like cares enough about us and like that that believes in us and what we're actually the value we're adding to say, let me take you aside. Yep. And those are huge gifts. Those are big moments. And I know you've had probably had a bunch of them. I've had them. Yeah. Um, and it's hard in them initially because yep. our ego is like wait a second. I thought I was doing this well. I want to be perfect. Right. And it's just, I tell people it's impossible. Like you've got to expect that things aren't going to go smoothly. Yeah. Well, this is a great, I think a great opportunity to transition to this topic of how to be an inclusive leader, which is the name Mm -hmm. of your book. You've Mm -hmm. just released the second edition. It's your role in creating cultures and belonging where everything can thrive. I've got a copy Mm -hmm. right here. I was just going through it again. And I love how you you kind of lay it out in terms of the evolution of becoming an inclusive leader, very openly, you know, where come where you are and yeah. go on this journey with me. But can you talk about, just start us off with, what does it mean to be an inclusive leader? What's the goal? The goal is to, you know, to quote Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. Very profound. At any age, we are only leaders successfully in the context we're leading in leaders in that, you know, that moment, right? We can think about people who've really resonated because they've risen to the challenge, right? They somehow had the stuff. And so I'm fascinated with 
what is the stuff? Like, what is that? And I believe as a leadership development person, the competencies, the skills are shifting in what is needed of us and what is expected of us and what will resonate most with current and future talent also, which is why we lead, right? We lead in that. That's what we're paid to do. Yep. And we, so therefore we've got to really revisit and challenge and develop, I think, new new competencies like humility, like agility, transparency, courage, authenticity, brave mm-hmm. authenticity. We have to cultivate that stuff in ourselves. And that's what feels so awkward because that's never been rewarded, never been defined, never been encouraged or recognized, never been on the scorecard. Mm. And also, by the way, to be fair, difficult to measure. Yeah, This is, this is a hard piece of this, which is, well, so can I say I'm an inclusive leader? <laughs> like, I think I am. I think I do really well. And, you know, some of us have a tendency to overrate ourselves. Right. And this is why I, if I could wave my magic wand, I would do a 360 somehow that, that, that witnesses a leader every day trying to grow. Like, mm-hmm. how could we capture that? But it feels, it feels like lightning in a bottle. You know, it's hard. And, and it's yeah. only in the estimation of people around that person to say, how is this person showing up? What, where do you see them growing? Where do you see them um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable and stretching themselves? Where do you yeah. hear them speaking about this? How do you see them, I guess, deepening, like personally becoming involved? Mm-hmm. It's very diff- It's difficult to measure, interestingly. Diversity is much easier in a way because right. those are the, um, you you know, the, the heads and the counting the heads. Yeah. What did they say? Diversity is counting the heads and inclus- yeah. inclusivity is making the heads count. That's right. Like that, <laughs> well done. <right? laughs> You've been paying attention. Yeah. yeah thank- I'm curious about this. So this, this kind of evolution to becoming an inclusive leader, and you even mentioned, you know, some people say, well, I am an inclusive leader, right? And, yeah. and I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, like, oh, I like to think that mm-hmm. I am, but I got some feedback the other day, right? As you said, you, you have as well. I think yeah. we're always evolving. I think it's very similar to, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier. You said, well, I don't know if I would call myself an expert or if I would have then. My kind of philosophy on that is I don't think I'm ever going to call myself an expert. I'll let other people call me sure. an expert, right? But I'm not <laughs> going to do it myself because I know there's always more to learn, right? We can right. always get better. Right. But when you start this journey and you start in the book, it starts with the unaware and you talk about finding your way mm-hmm. into the conversation and off of the sidelines. Can you talk about that? Because there's a lot of people that are still on the sidelines going oh, like, yeah. yeah, I know that stuff's important. I'm not part of the problem. That's right. I'm just going to hang out over here. <laughs> and hope this passes, right? Right. Yeah. Unaware is the first of four phases. And I used to call this phase apathetic actually, but somebody mm. gave me feedback that that was a little bit pejorative. So, <laughs> but I felt the apathy, right? It, it is the not caring or perhaps the not seeing, not understanding that there, there are inequities, gaps, the playing field isn't level. Mm-hmm. Maybe the system works for me. It doesn't work for others. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the unwillingness or inability to see the, the, you know, reality as it is. And because we are in bubbles, right. Or we don't have the courage or we don't think this applies to us, like you said. So, and, and it can be the apathy of a good, I'm a good person. It can mm-hmm. absolutely be. Yeah. I, I do, I do enough. Anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a good person. Like whatever, like, or I have daughters. Like, I love that. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Right. However, like, so what are you doing? And, and again, we moving into the second phase aware, which is okay. So if you awaken out of unconscious incompetence mm-hmm. to conscious incompetence, 
now I know what I don't know. Now I know what I don't, what I'm not hearing, what I'm not exposing myself to, where I don't have visibility, where I'm not Mm self-aware, where I thought there wasn't a problem, but there is. Um, now I'm being told, right. I'm, I'm listening and I'm gathering information. I'm, I'm following creators and conversations that don't identify as I do about conversations that don't have to do with me. Yeah. So I'm kind of absorbing all of that and it's a sponge and, and, and it, I have found aware is amazing and stimulating and, you know, mind opening, but also can create regret and maybe anger, shame, guilt, you know, fill in the blank around, why don't I know this? Why didn't I do this? Why did, why did I not say anything? Why didn't I, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you get to a point in life where you're like, wow, I really was so isolated in the way that I grew up. I wasn't yeah. exposed to this. I've never had a friend who identifies this way. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, it's a big kind of aha and it can be hard. And so I always want to name that because people get, if you don't name the emotions that go along with the continuum, mm. then I feel like they have the power to derail the learner from mm-hmm. moving. And I have felt emotions derail me. You know, I have, I don't know about you, when you got that feedback, you probably had a moment where you're like, I give up. Like, mm. this is too, this is too hard. Like I yeah. thought, right. I, you know, yeah. I'm not that person. I'm embarrassed. I, you know, whatever we go yeah, it's through embarrassing. This. Or you want to defend yourself. That wasn't that bad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, oh, how bad can it be? Or yeah. yeah. Anyway. So it's, I, I just want to say like, that's, very normative for where we are. And I still do it myself. Like I should know better. Right. And I've been doing this work for 20 years. So having like some grace for ourselves, but also holding ourselves accountable to move forward, which is the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, So I'll pause there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. When you, when you like catch yourself hypocritically, like violating the things that you teach. Like I I talk about sharing your pronouns and then I get to the middle of my talk and I'm like, wow, I didn't share my pronouns. So I'll say, okay. And by the way, my pronouns are she, her, and please notice that I forgot to do that until now. And Hmm. this is something I'm working on. This is something I'm trying to raise my own awareness and build the muscle memory so that it is something that comes naturally, Hmm. but I'm still in the conscious competence stage or phase, which is the third phase of the continuum active, which is like, okay, I'm, I'm riding the bike and learning how to do this, but I am super unsteady and I'm having to like Mm -hmm. really white knuckle, like hanging on, like paying attention. And it's not natural at all. It's, I think it can feel art. A lot of leaders are like, Jennifer, this feels so awkward. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to say. I I, I get it. And I want to do more, but what does more look like and how, like, who am I Mm -hmm. to have these conversations. Like, I think a lot of people are like, how do I lead and let people know without, you know, shame, like embarrassing myself or unintentionally harming somebody. It's so awkward. And there's so much risk involved sometimes. Yeah. But about the risk question, yes and no. I like to kind of reframe the risk and remind people of the proportion of risk that is taken by like, say me and sharing Mm -hmm. my pronouns is so small compared to someone in the organization who's listening to me saying, I really need to tell people that my pronouns are actually like he, him, Mm. right? Like the risk of that is risk. Like you want to talk about danger. (laughs) You want to talk about courage, Yeah, you know, to put everything on the line, like put your job on the line, put your family on the line to like live your truth, speak your truth. Yeah, We've got to realize like what we feel is risky is only because we don't have the agility. We have not been forced to walk through the world dealing with the fear of violence and discrimination and stigma every single moment. Yeah. 
like we haven't developed the resilience. So I, I purely think it is just, we don't, we have not developed that resilience, which is a really key point. And this is like white fragility is joined right there with that, yeah. right? Which is I am fragile. Like I'm fragile. I don't, I don't mean this as a pejorative word. We are fragile. Yeah. It's delicate. Our <laughs> ego holds us together. Right. But yeah. once we start to question so many things, it can feel that we're, we're sort of losing our foundation. Yeah. And it's hard. Can I ask you a question on that? You know, from, yeah. a, I wanted to ask you about like a lot of ally type questions as well, as I strive mm-hmm. to be one. And by the way, my pronouns are he and him. Oh. When you get on, you meet somebody new and you're really not sure. Right. So I had this, uh, this experience this was a few months ago, I got on a zoom call with someone, a new potential client, and I just really wasn't sure. Are they man, Can woman, gay, straight? Like, I don't know. And it feels very awkward to ask. Do I ask in that moment? Like, Hey, what are your pronouns? Do I just like go on with business and not worry about it? Cause it hasn't really been an issue. Like this is, you know, I'm voicing a question that I'm, I'm sure many people are like, oh, yes. I don't know who this person, you know, what type of person they are. It's a weird thing to even, you know, describe yeah. or say, but I think as humans, our, our mind is always racing with like, I need to categorize the person that's in front of me, right? So true, right? In some way or another, I need to put them in boxes, which mm-hmm. sounds bad, but I think that's what we do. It is. It, you're right. And labeling, labeling has its pluses and minuses, but, right. but naming correctly is mm. the goal right? Because names are so precious to people. Like Mm -hmm. it's the most precious sound to us is our name. Mm, Do you think of somebody that always makes you feel so special? It's because they, they say your name a lot. So Andy, what Mm -hmm. I mean is, and you can say, Jennifer, that really, you know, impacted me and, and it establishes this closeness, right? This Mm. intimacy. So it's really critical and pronouns are the same. Imagine being misgendered like Mm. every single day. Yeah. Oh, that must feel like that jarring, like, oh, that's not true. That's not true that, you know, and, and, or I'm being ignored or I've shared this, but somebody keeps ignoring it or they keep forgetting it. Like, so we have to kind of imagine that. And then my coaching would be, so on our zoom or any of the tools, we can usually add our pronouns next to our name. Yeah. So I would proactively do that. I'd also add it to our email signatures. And Mm. I love the technique of putting a little link under where you have your pronouns and saying, like, ask me more about this. Mm. And the link might go to a resource about pronouns. So I love that. I say, hey, uh, just so you know, I put my pronouns in here. You might want to do the same thing so I can find out what yours are. (laughs) Well, so if you're speaking on any sort of DEI or inclusiveness adjacent topic, I honestly think the role modeling, and I do this actually, I mean, Mm. we chuckle, but like, I've done this. Like I usually start a meeting and I'll say, Hey everybody, like, as you're joining, please add your pronouns. My pronouns are she, her. It takes two seconds. Mm. And I say, and I take a moment and I say, this is one of the ways that I want to show up as an ally to non-cisgender folks, to non-binary folks, to people in my community, because Mm. I am a cisgender person, but I'm in the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. So my gender identity is cisgender, which means the gender of my body matches my sense of my gender. So yeah. I'm cisgender, CIS, mm. which is on the continuum of difference. The transgender is the other end of that. And then in the middle, there's all kinds of gender identities, including gender non-binary and things yeah. like that, where it's they, them pronouns, for example. So anyway, so I, I think we question. can broach this. And then in terms of your question of asking people, I think rather than focusing on asking Perhaps we go first and we just make a statement to say, hey, my pronouns are she, her. 
and opening the door. And then somebody will walk through the door if they're ready to, to say, hi, you know, my name is Aaron. Yeah. My pronouns are she, they, mm-hmm. and you know, thanks Jennifer. I, can, and can I just challenge you on that. Cause I think in a one-on-one yeah. conversation, yeah. to me, that seems irrelevant. Like I would never call you she or her. I would only call you Jennifer, right? <laughs> but, but obviously later on, I could be talking about you to someone else and I need to exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's kind of like with nicknames. I've learned that a John, a Jonathan does not appreciate being called John. This is true. You yep. know, Had that so when I ask, so how do you like to be called? Like, what what is your preferred name? And, and can I ask what your preferred pronouns are? Hmm. Now, I just said preferred, and I want to put a little asterisk around that. Okay. This is 3.0 now. Ooh. Uh, we have not been saying preferred lately. Okay. We just say pronouns because it's not preferred. It's who you are. Right. So it's sort of like you know, sexual orientation is a choice. That's why we stay away from sexual preference. Mm. We don't say that we say sexual orientation. And yeah. even that word sexual is preference changing, to me the implies way. the other way. Like, who yeah, you, yeah, who exactly. Like so after. anyway, so that's even evolving. And I just said preferred because mm-hmm. it's in my ear, but again, I'm checking myself and I'm in the community and the language yeah. is changing. Yeah. So and what's the difference between who you are and what you prefer anyway? That is you. Right? I know, I know, but it's, it's, yeah, these are this kind of splitting hairs, but people are very particular about language and it's a big piece of DEI learning, right? Is, is yeah. how do we refer to communities? For example, okay. you know, saying black versus African-American, right? Not all African, wait a second, not all black people are African-American. Right. Yeah. Right. This is true. I've so asked, in other parts of the world, they understand this, but we have this default here. And that's one of the things, just like whiteness and the word white, you know, Andy, I have had to take that word out of my PowerPoints over the years. I've been asked by clients, oh, we're not comfortable having that conversation. We don't, we don't say that. We don't say black. We don't say white. We don't, and what do you not mean, anymore. About, like, identifying, saying I am white or? Well, just speaking about whiteness is so fraught huh. in some companies that I speak to, they are literally, it has so much baggage. It's such a trigger point. You just pretend that, it doesn't exist or? Well, they just don't want me to go there. Okay. All right. <laughs> now this was, this was before the last couple of years, I have to yeah. say, uh, yeah. I don't get that much anymore, but we all, okay. all of us that have been in the work for a long time have stories about yeah. this actually. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Sorry, another interesting question. You said, before we start recording, you said, ask me anything, go, go, <laughs> so go, go for, for the, it. <laughs> you do the fluff interview somewhere else. I'm going to sure. give you my deepest curiosities. <laughs> okay. You as a member of LGBTQ, you mentioned earlier, you, you do a talk and you say, my pronouns are, are you know, she, her, I am cisgender, but mm-hmm. I'm also LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine you could almost say that to a group of people from underrepresented groups as a way of saying like, look, I'm, I'm part of, you know, I'm one of you, like I have been marginalized in some way in the past. However, being LGBTQ is not something unlike race. People cannot really tell that about you unless you tell them. Right. So do you ever feel like I need to tell people this so they know that I have been part of an underrepresented group or (laughs) like, seriously, I I would think because it's because in your profession, that's almost like a credential. If you will, it, it is. No, it 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 is. And oh gosh, like making the invisible identity visible is is a piece of people's learning, honestly, mm-hmm. in rooms with me, right? Because I love busting the stereotype too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little it's a little trick I play. Yeah. You know, to say who do you think I was and am? Oh, 
right? And the buy right away, the bias comes. Yeah, and, you definitely wouldn't, you know, look yeah. at you and say, "Oh, she's definitely gay," right? Exactly. Like there is there is a what we call straight passing, right? Yeah. Just like white passing. Some mm-hmm. you know people who are not white can white pass, or they have mm-hmm. they have you call them you know Joe instead of Jose. Like there's so many stories about the ways that we've kind of gone along and yeah. made other people comfortable as opposed to ourselves being authentic. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely my story of being LGBTQ plus, I think that the way I talk about it now is that my marginalization and that experience has been tempered and cushioned by the identities that protect me in the, this world. Mm. And I say that within the first five minutes I'm on any stage because mm-hmm. I want people to understand that I have done this deep look at myself, who, mm-hmm. how, where I was born, the advantages that I've had, the winds at my back, the safety that I've enjoyed because I look this way. You look, yeah. Now my subsequent awareness of how honestly my allyship, where to point my allyship, because I used to think being in a marginalized identity in the early days, 20 years ago, it was, it was like, we were, you know, beating our chests and, yeah. you know, finding our voice and fighting the power. Like, you know, like, like coming together as a community and feeling very much like we're the ones that aren't getting treated fairly, but, but within that group of people, we still, many of us still enjoyed a lot of privilege. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't trans and non-binary. We were white. Mm-hmm. There were lots and lots of gay, white, cisgender men in the world 20 years ago, pushing, what would become the marriage equality effort, but there wasn't credit given to our trans women of color who were the original Stonewall, you know, folks that were tangling with the police in that, that fateful night in 1969, you know what I mean? So, so the, so what, what you end up learning is your, that your privilege has protected you from a lot of things and that our work as allies, accomplices, co-conspirators is in this work is to recognize that um, our marginalization is colored by that. And even just naming that, I, I hope credentializes me too. It's not just the marginalized identities that I thought were like my biggest battle to fight, but actually maybe my biggest battle to fight now is with people who have the same skin color as I do, with people mm. that have the same gender identity as I do, the people who, you know, are, are from different political persuasions. You know, I, I feel more these days called to have those discussions, but everything I learned about struggle and challenge and systems and everything I got from being in the early days in the LGBTQ community and really puzzling through like how institutions like don't see us, don't honor us, don't respect us, don't hire us, don't promote us, that there's, you know, so much so much that we haven't have had access to if we were out, if we were out, I mean, most of us were not, I mean, there's still 50% of us that are still not out in the workplace. And that statistic is from two years ago. So, Hmm. I mean, I don't know how much it's changed in the last two years, but that's not that long ago. Yeah. That's very recent. That's we're talking yeah, 2020s. Yeah. Jennifer, we, I have so many questions I want to ask <laughs> you. We're gonna, we're definitely going to run out of time, oh, but goodness. I want to make sure that we give some value to people in our audience who work in talent development. So from an yes. organizational uh, standpoint, I know oh. you're, you've been on this DEI mission for a long time. I'm sure you work with a lot of people in learning and development, HR, talent development. What are some things now you think about today's environment that like some best practices you see people in talent development doing to make sure that they're programs, their learning development is inclusive, that they are, you know, 
managing all of this and and making mm. progress and helping people feel like they belong. Yeah. I, my talent development people are my people. I mean, that's, yeah. that was what I studied. So don't be afraid to sync resources and prioritization into development programs for people of different identities. Like don't, I would say, don't give in to the pressure you're going to hear around. Well, isn't that just exclusionary? Don't listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to believe in the fact that people need to be supported differentially. Are you talking about just, are you talking about like, we're going to create a program just for our black employees yes, or something like absolutely. that? Absolutely. Okay for LGBT employees right. and and pour into those folks because okay. they are on the edge already because microaggressions, because bias, because organizations not built by and for so many of us. Mm-hmm. So the daily struggle just accumulates to the point where it causes health issues. It causes us to leave. Of course, you saw the exodus of women from the workplace yeah. <laughs> because in 2000, you know, 2020 and 2021, like millions of women, right? because, you know, the s- system was not aware of the ways in which it needed to support us. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it, because we weren't at the table making those decisions. So, you know, that that's the consequence and that didn't have to happen. We should mm-hmm. have been prepared for that. So when we differentially invest, we also get smarter as an organization about different communities and how they struggle relatively in that system so that we can improve it. So don't be afraid of that. I would also say, please formalize sponsorship programs. Mm. Like do not let this be ad hoc. Don't let people say, well, I can't join my capital with somebody that I you know, don't know deeply already. Because if we let this go, Sponsorship is the A number one thing that has been shown to lift non-traditional talent up and mm. through that pipeline, right? And yet we don't build a structure around it to encourage it or to introduce accountability for it. And yet the sharing of capital, and this is capital with a small C, is the biggest differentiator in terms of like who has your back, who's playing your card, who's mentioning you, who's putting you forward, who's vouching for you. We must ensure and build the programs that tee people up to share that power, because that is what's going to, um, it's not training, you know, it's not a lot of other things that we think are going to move the needle. It's Mm. literally power being shared strategically across difference by mainly majority white male leaders. And even, even to the point of reverse mentoring programs where we can set up mentoring pairs, where there is an acknowledgement that things are changing fast and that our leaders at the top of the house are woefully unprepared. So looking at talent development, Mm -hmm. thinking about, okay, so then how do I bring my leader? How can I catch my leaders up who are of a different generation, a different identity, who are very unfamiliar with the way they need to lead? Mm-hmm. How can we measure them and hold them accountable? By the way, how do how then do we you know give them metrics and accountability, but also support their learning so that they can meet those goals, which is important. And then how can we at the same time you know raise up that next generation of leaders and and bring forth a more honest conversation about what needs to change in all of the systems, whether it's hiring, onboarding, promotion, advancement. I would also say watch out for this whole like executive presence crapola professionalism, like it's, it's been so toxic and so harmful to have these terms being used to screen out the full expression of humans and to kind of force all of us into this, like March in the same way, in the same um, mold. So I, I just would watch out in ourselves, like just, just, you know, when you hear that, 
challenge yourself and others to come up with better criteria and more specific criteria and, and also change the criteria. Don't be afraid to people with disabilities tell me they may, or parenting parents, they may say, look at my resume. There's gaps in my resume. Mm -hmm. Of course there is. Mental health is the biggest epidemic going on right now. Mm -hmm. If I need to take time off and I'm a high potential, we must support that person through and have the long view with our talent. So, but the stigma prevents us from having a conversation, from supporting someone adequately, from managers knowing how to have a conversation. So we lose things unnecessarily. We lose the goodness because we're so unaware and we haven't really done the work. So, but like, I have a long list, but those are some things I would start with. <laughs> and that is so good. There's a lot of gold there. Mm. I'm curious just to dig a little bit further on this. You mentioned watch out for executive presence, mm. this idea of executive presence and professionalism. And mm. I haven't like fully thought about this, but something I've become very aware of through my own journey of studying mindfulness and meditation and just watching how things happen around the world mm -hmm. and humanity and psychology is that we often live by these rules of society that are made up by ourselves, made up by others, our parents, whatever it may be. Right. And that this, what I'm hearing from you is this idea of executive presence or quote executive presence is based on rules made up by the people that, right. That we're talking about that created the office and the environment and everything else. And it may not necessarily be inclusive of others being who they want to be or being themselves. That's right. That's right. I mean, ask anyone who's you know gone to great pains to wear their hair in a certain way, right? Mm. So that they won't get feedback on, you know, your appearance or anybody in the LGBTQ community who gets feedback about how you speak. People don't take you seriously. Like there's a lot of coded language that truly, if you dig into it, it is about not fitting that role model that has been pulled from a very narrow group of people. Mm. And, and then we all kind of spend our lives professionally, like trying to like modify ourselves to fit into that. And that, yeah. that depletes us. It takes mm. away from our energy, our contributions, our brilliance. It makes us feel small. Yeah. So we don't want, why would we want people to feel that way? Like yeah. what would that serve? But we, but as a result, we have to expand the, the kinds of people who can be successful in a system, we've got to hold them up. We have to celebrate them. We have to say, this mm -hmm. is what a leader looks like now mm -hmm. and hold up and, and, and recognize and publicize the leaders that we want, especially the younger talent to kind of see and emulate, to say, that looks like me. That person has my story. I can stay here and build a career that I'm proud of. Like I can be anything here. Mm -hmm. And that, what I just said is the definition of belonging. It is, I feel this is a place I can thrive and that will, will hold my needs and will value all of who I am through life's thick and thin. That's the message we want to communicate to people. But in order to do that, we have to not be, be have these expectations that if your life isn't organized in this way, then you can't be successful here. That's not going to work. I mean, it's just not simply not a sustainable strategy. Yeah. That's so interesting. So many things I would love to talk mm -hmm. about there, but we we really got to wrap things up. Jennifer, there's a lot of things we didn't get to in your book, but so I'll just ask you one more kind of open-ended question. And you know, when it comes to becoming an inclusive leader or for many of our talent development colleagues who are trying to help their leaders become oh, more yeah. inclusive leaders, is there any other important thing or one more takeaway you want to make sure that people hear about the book or the subject? 
Yeah, I would, I would, the advice I'd give is, well, the book is actually a perfect read for those leaders. Honestly, it's a very non-judgmental, very simple, very accessible, readable on the plane or wherever, you know, quickly. And I think equips people with a sort of, okay, I can, I can relax. Like this is not a a negative judgment on me, but this is, this is a, a, a something I can apply. So I would say that first of all, and then Remembering, you know, that so many diversity dimensions about humans are invisible. And so any leader you're sitting across from or working with, if you can create enough psychological safety and trust where they can say, well, diversity defined this way means that I, I am experiencing something or, you know, and, and encouraging those leaders to actually get to the point where they can lead with that, that they can disclose what is not seen about them and do so courageously, authentically with passion, understanding that they, they can become that role model. And, and I know what I just described is sort of condenses what can be a very long journey of like self-acceptance and discovery and disclosure and, you know, getting through all the pieces in the book that talks about the awkwardness of who am I, who am I to have the life experience that I have? And what does it have to do with being a leader? But I would give you that that this is the stuff of leadership. This literally is the stuff that will be sought after and looked for in our leaders. And so if you're a partner to these leaders, the, the encouragement, the space holding, the inclusion of them and all of their diversity dimensions, whatever those are, which are often unseen and or unexpressed, unexplored or from a shameful place. You know, sometimes this stuff that that has been hardest for you is the most inspiring. And that's where storytelling comes in. That's where, you know, I like to say everybody has a diversity story. Everybody knows something about this topic, mm. but, but helping people find their way in to leading with it and storytelling around it and, and shining a light, not just to, for their own journey and healing and reconciliation, but for, so that somebody in their org can see that they aren't alone. And they're not alone in their struggle. They're not alone in their identity. That is, to me, that is where I'd like to see leaders evolve too. And we as partners, I think, can help somebody in their personal journey. And then we also have to help them with their biases, right? Help them lead better, help them be more intentional about where they're sharing power, challenge your leaders to mentor across difference. You know, I think we make time for people that look like us because they're the ones that have enough confidence to approach us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, challenge each person that you're, you're with to say like, Hey, what are you doing every week towards making yourself, um, putting, putting yourself in unfamiliar places, having want new conversations, meeting the first person of a certain identity in your world, or making time for somebody or choosing somebody to lift up. I, I'd want a scorecard on all of this mm-hmm. because that this is the stuff of how leadership should be gauged in the future. So good. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, this has been fantastic. The book again is how to be an inclusive leader, your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. I know it's available on Amazon. People can go find out more information on your website, jenniferbrownspeaks.com. Jennifer, I always love talking to you. I have so many more questions, so many things. I know we could go for hours. I definitely want to have you back on the show (laughs) in the near future uh, and hang out with you at a bar or coffee shop soon. So we could just discuss all of these important (laughs) topics. But for now, I know you'll be out there speaking and helping more people become inclusive leaders and changing the world. So thank you for your work and thank you for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Andy. Right back at you. I appreciate you and everything you're doing for folks. So 
soon we will be together. All right. Take care. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Jennifer Brown on how to become an inclusive leader. I hope you got value from that conversation. If you are interested in reaching out to Jennifer, working with her, you can go to her website, jenniferbrownspeaks.com or find her on LinkedIn. And if you're interested in working with me on leadership development or especially career development, you can reach out to me. You can go to my website, andystorch.com or reach out anytime, andy at andystorch.com. Hey, I appreciate you listening And if you enjoy this podcast, if you're someone who is very passionate about talent development, you're learning about talent development, maybe even you're just getting into talent development, why not take your education to the next level and start networking with other talent development professionals and learn from our experts directly through Zoom calls, through live Q&A, through conversations. That's what we're doing every week inside the Talent Development Think Tank membership community that I run. We have a Zoom call every Wednesday. You don't have to attend all of them. We record them. We have plenty of great content that you can learn from in our member vault. And we do live sessions all the time where we connect people with each other in talent development. That's what we're all about. And we bring in a lot of great guest speakers like Jennifer, who will probably be joining us at some point this year as well. Our website, where you can find everything for our podcast, our conference, our community, is at tdtt.us, as in talent development think tank, tdtt.us. I'd love for you to check that out. Let me know what you think. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And I hope to talk to you again soon.